Good evening. This morning I will be reading from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And if you have a Red Pew Bible, that's on page 1001. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was blind, binding and every violation and disobedience received, it's just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The salvation which, which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testifies to to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of Holy Spirits distributed according to His will. Good evening. Tonight we will be looking at four truths. And these four truths are truths that must never be forgotten. Each lesson will do with one unforgettable truth. The first truth is that we should never forget the value of a soul. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 36. This will be a key verse later on in the lesson. That's Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What makes something valuable? A number of different factors can contribute to the value of something. One factor is scarcity. Potable or drinkable water is extremely valuable in desert areas, especially those in developing countries, because it is so difficult to find. It is scarce. Apart from scarcity, utility can also affect the value of something. The usefulness of a particular item affects how highly valued, how highly valued it is. Take, for example, basements which, although they aren't very common around our area, are very useful and a necessity in states where things like tornadoes and snowstorms are very common. Another factor taken into consideration is durability. The longer something lasts, the more valuable, the more valuable it is. A car that is known for its durability will cost much more than an unreliable model. But what about a soul? What gives a soul value? Our souls are, are precious primarily because of their durability. They will endure forever. Knowing this truth, the most important thing a person can do is to be concerned about their soul and the souls of others. For he who wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11, verse 30. With that said, let us consider what the Bible says can be done with the soul. Number one, a soul can prosper. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. That is 3 John verse 2. Our souls pros prosper when we love, serve, and seek God with every fiber in our being, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew 22 verses 37 and 38. However, a prosperous soul does not necessarily equate to material prosperity. We can be rest assured that our physical and material needs will be taken care of when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as we read in Matthew 6, verse 33. Now let's look at that verse that we flipped to, Mark 8, verse 36, which reads, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
a wise man will rightly regard his soul as more precious and valuable than all the gold than all the gold and all the silver he will ever be able to purchase. If he does not recognize this fact, this fact, his soul will for sure be lost. Woe to those who lose their souls. Now in the next verse, verse 37, we read, what will a man get? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus spoke in the preceding verse about gaining the whole world at the expense of one's soul. The implication is that one soul can be exchanged for the things of this world, but that any such exchange would prove to be exceedingly foolish. Perhaps this exchange may not at first seem to be that bad. In fact, it may appear to be perfectly okay. But as is my fourth point, a soul can and will be required. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Luke 12, verse 20. How challenging to think that God may require our soul at any moment in time. Number five, a soul can be saved. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James 5, verse 20. 1 Peter 8 and 9 state, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and fill with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our souls are saved when we repent of sinful living and submissively and obediently follow God in his ways. Lastly, a soul can be shepherded. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. That is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The most important work that our elders do is watch over our souls. Jesus is the good shepherd, and our souls ought to long for and follow after him. That is John 10, verse 14. We must never forget that our souls are precious. We must also be wary of what we do with our souls. If we are not careful, we may exchange our souls for the things of this world which are temporary, and as a result, lose our souls. Conversely, our souls can prosper, and if we follow and obey our shepherds, our elders, and the good shepherd Jesus, we will be saved. But ultimately, that decision lies in, lies in our, our hands. May all people everywhere give proper attention to their souls. A second truth that must never be forgotten is that this world is not our home. Once a man interrupted Jesus in the middle of his lesson. The man said, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Now Jesus was busy teaching people about the things of God and all this man could think about was making sure he got his part of the inheritance. Jesus said to the man, take heed, beware, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Luke 12, verse 15. Disciples of Jesus deeply believe that this world is not our home. We should be much more concerned about the next life than this one. Let's look at several reasons why this world is not our home. First, we know this world is not our home because the Bible teaches that our real citizenship is in heaven. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21. 
The Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Probably most of us in this audience are citizens of the United States. Many of the people in Philippi were citizens of Rome. That was a status that the people prized and were proud of. No matter what country we might be citizens of, every Christian needs to remember that our needs to remember that our real citizenship is in heaven. Second tonight, we know this world is not our home because the Bible calls us sojourners and pilgrims. Look at 1 Peter 2 verses 11 through 12. 1 Peter 2 verses 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter wanted his brethren to remember that they are just sojourners and exiles. A different translation says, strangers and pilgrims. A sojourner is someone who travels constantly, never stopping to get too comfortable or cozy, and never feeling completely at home. A pilgrim is someone who leaves, his, who leaves one country to seek a new home in another. So we are to look at ourselves as travelers who are going to a different home. Third, we know this world is not our home because the Bible teaches this world will not last forever. Turn to 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, and what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. When the day of the Lord arrives, everything about this present world will come to a close. 2 Peter 3 teaches us, just as God destroyed the world with water in the days of Noah, he will destroy the earth with fire on the day of the Lord, when the day of the Lord arrives. Everything about this present... We need to think about whether or not we are living with a sense that this world will not last forever. Finally, we know this world is not our home because the Bible teaches that we are looking for a better place. Jesus said he has gone to prepare a place for us, John 14, verses 1 through 3. Paul wrote that to depart and be with Christ is far better. Philippians 1, verse 23. Please turn to Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16 speaks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who lived in tents all their lives. The Bible says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are, spe- they are seeking a homeland. If they have been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This world is filled with beauty and goodness, but this world is just a dim reflection of what God has prepared for those who love him. Does your life demonstrate that this world is not your home? Please turn with me to Matthew 26, 28. It's Matthew 26, 28. And it says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. The third truth that must not be forgotten tonight is that only the blood can wash away sin. The Bible tells us that the greatest problem ever faced by mankind is the problem of sin. It is because of, this, it is because of sin that Jesus left heaven and came to earth, and it was because of sin that Jesus must die on the cross, Matthew 26, 28. But despite what the Bible teaches about the seriousness of sin and the tremendous price that must be paid to remove sin, many people seem to want to use other agents to wash away their sins. Let's talk about what can and cannot wash away your sin. First, the passing of time cannot wash away your sins. Some people believe, or some people live with this mistaken belief that time heals all wounds including the wounds inflicted by sinful choices. However, the truly wise realize that even though weeks, months, or even years have passed, God still holds us accountable for unforgiven sins. He says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10 so the passing of time does not wash away our sins. Next, personal feelings and experience do not wash away sin. Some well-meaning people remark they feel that they are right with God, so their forgiveness must be a reality. Consider, though, that it is possible for one to feel innocent and yet still be guilty. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14:12. Again, think of Paul. Paul felt innocent while persecuting the church, but his guilt before God was great. Acts 23, verse 3. So our feelings and subjective experiences do not wash away our sins. Also, just being a good person does not wash away our sin. While many are confronted with their guilt before God, they instinctively begin to try to make up for their guilt by living a moral life. Now, we do not want to discredit this, for certainly it is commendable and right to honor God by living in an upright manner. It says so in James 1.27 and Galatians 6.10. However, the Bible makes it clear that no amount of more goodness that we perform can ever remove the penalty for a single sin. It says, 
Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book to do them. Galatians 3.10 And it says again in James 2.10 For whoever shall keep the whole law, but and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So just being a good person does not wash away our sins. The fourth point tonight is that merely admitting that we have sinned does not wash it away. It is right and good for us to acknowledge sin, but mere acknowledgement in itself cannot cleanse sin. For even the demons acknowledge great truths about themselves and God, yet they're not saved, according to James 2:19. Agrippa acknowledged his sin when he said to Paul, "You must you almost persuade me to become a Christian." In Acts 26, verse 28. Thus, the mere admission of sin cannot wash away sin. Now, something much more powerful is needed. And this brings us to our fifth and final point of this lesson. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away your sin. The blood of Jesus is the only agent to remove your sin. The blood of Jesus is said to purchase us from sin. It is also said to redeem us to remit sin, to wash us, to justify us, to reconcile us with God and each other, and to sanctify us. Thus the believer can truly sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So as I close my lesson, I would like to leave you all with one question to think about, and that is, have you allowed the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins? First John 4, verse 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. As we continue on tonight in our series of lessons, let us look at, at just a few ways on how God shows his love towards us. Number one tonight, because, because God loves us, he thinks about us all the time. In Luke 12, verse 7, it says, But the very hairs of your head are numbered. God knows us so well that he knows the amount of hair on top of our head. God is constantly watching us. In the story of Jonah, Jonah tries to, tries to hide from God, but he can't, and here's why. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, it says that the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. God loves us by knowing what we need. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, in the middle of giving his Sermon on the Mount, is talking about prayer, and notice what he says in verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Your Father knows, God knows all, and he knows everything about us. God shows his love towards us by longing for us to come back to him when we go astray. In Luke, in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, the story of the prodigal son it reads, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Even after the son sinned against his father, the father forgave him and was glad to have him back. Number two this evening, because God loves us, he provides for us. In Acts chapter 14, verse 17, it states that, In that he did good, 
He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God makes the sun rise, Matthew 5, verse 45. And in James chapter 1, verse 17, it says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. He gives us everything. God is a provider of comfort. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, it states that casting all your cares upon him, he cares for you. God wants us to give him all our troubles and to be worry-free. Number three tonight, because God loves us, he's patient towards us. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is merciful towards us and wants to be with us forever. Turning your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus, and notice what he says in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, verse 5, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Number four tonight, because God loves us, he has given us a gift that we cannot repay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for us, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Can you imagine what it would be like to send your only child to die for a world full of sin? God loved us so much that he made the sacrifice for us so, so that we would not perish, but spend eternity with him in heaven. We will never be able to repay him back. Finally tonight, because God loves us, he forgives us. We are forgiven. When we are forgiven, God covers our sin. Psalm 30, 32, verse 1. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, it says that he casts our sin behind his back. In Acts 13, verse 38, it reads, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. God loves us so much that even when we turn our back towards him, he's willing to forgive us. Go ahead and open up your songbook to the song of invitation. God loves you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you. If you have not obeyed the gospel tonight, or if you have not been baptized, the water is waiting for you here, or maybe you have, you have fallen away from Christ and need help, any need that you may have, we ask that you come down and let us help you as together we stand and as we sing.